you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And we'll begin reading in a few moments with verse 15. We're going to do a little bit, you know, before we get to that point. When I was pastor at Newberry, one of the years we had a tornado. Tornado went right up Main Street, destroyed several buildings. One little finger, you might call it, of the tornado went over our church. It tore up a, a car shed that was behind the church, kind of splintered it, threw it in the back of the church, broke a lot of windows. Uh, as the uh, property people were going over our church and looking at it, they, we, of course, we lost shingles, and they went up and you know, examined the attic. And you could see, they said that you could see where the suction from the tornado almost pulled the roof off, but it didn't. I got to thinking about, well, what if the roof had been pulled off and God looked into our church, what would he see? And that might be a good question for any church to ask. We've got an incident in the New Testament where Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry and he wanted to see what was going on with the church of that time, which was the temple there in Jerusalem. And in Mark chapter 11, if you look at verse 11, you read this, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, I don't know how well you can see this, but hopefully you can see Something here that gives you some idea of the temple complex. This is the, sort of the wall all the way around the temple. This big building at the back is where uh, the Roman governor stayed. So that's where Pilate would have been. Now, this was a, a large complex. This was the heart of it, right in the middle of the sanctuary, the holy place and the holy of holies. Right out in the very front of it is where the sacrifices would have been offered because they were still doing, you know, the offering of animals at that time. The tent, the, the uh, court of the Jewish men, they could come in here. And right out here was the court of the women. And out here was the court of the Gentiles. So you see, in those times, the Jewish thought, if you weren't a Jew, then everybody else was a Gentile. So they had a place where people from other Races, nations, nationalities could come and worship God. Now, if you went there to worship as a Jewish person, you would more than likely have to bring an animal sacrifice. If you lived up in Galilee and wanted to come to Jerusalem, you didn't want to have to be aggravated with getting an animal all the way down, you know, 50 plus miles walking, you know, to Jerusalem. So they set it up so that you could buy the animal after you got it there and offer the animal there. Also, if you were going to give an offering, you couldn't use the Roman coins that everyone used. You had to use Jewish coins. So they had people that could change the money from the Roman coin to the Jewish coin, and then you could give that in the offering. Now, there were some really good people who were associated with the temple worship. People like Zacharias, who was John the Baptist's father. Or, you know, after Jesus was born, there was Simeon and Anna you know, who were just very, very devout people. They, they were devout, you know, what we might call laymen, such as Jewish Jesus' father and mother and, you know, all his relatives that would go to the temple and worship there, such as when Jesus was dedicated. Jesus was, you know, went with his family when he was 12 years old. So a lot of good people there, 
The problem was a lot of the people who were running the place, the religious leaders, weren't all that good. So, you know, they kind of thought that that was their place and they wanted, you know, to run it themselves. And so out here in the court of the uh, Gentiles, they set up the place where you could set by and sell the animals. And that's where they set up the money changers. And they let people who would have to go all the way around the temple carrying a load, they could take a shortcut through here. And, you know, so there was a lot of traffic just back and forth. Now, can you imagine trying to worship if we had animals in here and people exchanging money and people just passing through? Make it pretty hard, wouldn't it? Well, Jesus went to the temple and he saw all of that. Now, look down at verse 15. The next day, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Evidently, these people who were in charge were, you know, making a profit off of it, selling those animals for exorbitant prices, not being fair with the exchange of the rates of the money. Notice a couple of things. First of all, Jesus knows what's going on in his churches. Just like he investigated what was going on in the temple at Jerusalem, he knew. And so there are certain things that he would want to see in his churches when he looks into them. What are those? First of all, he wants to see a church that recognizes its proper owners. You know, the, the people who were running the temple, the religious leaders, they had the idea, hey, this temple belongs to us, and we're going to run it for our benefit. They thought it was theirs, but it wasn't. Jesus reminded them that the church is God's house. It belongs to God. So he cleaned out those things that were being run by the people who thought it was their house, using it for their own ends. He wanted the people to know, and he taught the people, this was God's house. And in doing that, he was showing that he is Lord, that as the Son of God, he is the one who has the authority in his churches. Now, you know as well as I do, that sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. You know that in some churches, the preacher thinks he runs the church. Well, he's the one that calls all the shots. He's the one who's going to impose his will on the church. He's the master of the church. He forgets that Jesus is Lord. You know, there's some churches where the, the deacons think they run the church. Or in some churches, the elders think they run the church. They get to thinking it's their church and they're going to make happen there what they want to happen there. And they forget it's Jesus who's supposed to be running the church. Sometimes it happens with whole congregations. You know, we say my church and we say our church, and it is, and we're right in doing that. But as we do that, don't forget it's not really our church. It's really God's church. And Jesus is Lord of that church. 
And even though as, as a Baptist church, we govern ourselves through you know, the participation of all of the members and have a, a democracy here, it's a democracy under the Lordship of Christ. And we're not supposed to be seeking or trying to impose our will. We're trying to determine what is Christ's will and how does He want things carried out here. So He is the Lord of the church. And so we always need to be asking ourselves, is Jesus Lord of Holland Avenue? Is He, are we living up to making Him Lord and doing things in accordance with how He wants them done and what He wants done? Jesus, when He looks into His church, wants to see people who realize who the owner really is. Then when Jesus looks into His church, He wants the church to fulfill its primary task. Jesus doesn't tolerate just anything in his churches. When Lindsay read that scripture from Jeremiah, you know, it, it talks about the people doing all sorts of despicable things and then coming to church and thinking, you know, well, we can just come and do church. We'll do it the way we want to do it and we'll keep living our lives the way we want to live and, you know, that's all right. And God said through the prophet, uh-uh, it's not. He says, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. God knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in our church. He knows what's going on in our lives. And we can't come to church and pretend that we are righteous and holy when we haven't been acting in a righteous manner nor in a holy manner. It matters to Him what we are when we come to worship, as well as what we do in worship. And then Jesus reminded us his house is to be a house of prayer. Again, he was quoting scripture. Remember he said both for those, that was, is it not written? He's talking about written in the scripture. In Isaiah 56, it says, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable, accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God's house is a house of prayer for all nations. It's a place where everyone is welcomed. Jesus got upset when the court of the Gentiles was being used for other purposes because it was keeping all the other nations from worshiping God. And God wants all to be able to worship Him. He wants us to be praying as His people. You know, Holiday Avenue has a strong prayer life. One of the first things that impressed me when I came to this church is how good the prayer life was. We exchanged these prayer cards this morning. You know, we pray for one another. I mean, we don't just talk about it, we do it. That's a good thing. You know, we have uh, other means to help us, you know, with our prayer. You know, we have the prayer line where we can call it up and get the names of those who need special prayer. We have prayer meeting. On Wednesday evening, we have prayer for revival a little earlier on Wednesday afternoon. We have people in this church who are prayer warriors. We have staff in this church who are prayer warriors. Yeah. Again, one of the things that really impressed me about this church when I first came was the beautiful prayer lives that your staff members have. You know, it's, it's just amazing to hear them approach the throne of grace and pray like they do. And many others of you as well, 
You know, when I hear you praying in the sanctuary, I hear you praying in prayer meeting. There are a lot of people here who pray. We have a prayer room, you know, where we can go and spend special time in prayer. Now, don't misunderstand. God hears our prayers no matter where we are. He hears our prayers at home. He hears our prayers when we're driving down the highway. You can go crawl in a cave up in the mountains, pray there, and God still hears your prayer. But His house is to be a special place where we come together and we pray. And we put the emphasis on that. And we're doing the right thing. We're doing good, but there might be some things we can add to that to do a little better. Once upon a time, you had a prayer card ministry here. And some dedicated people to this church, you know, would put prayer cards in the pews and people could write their prayer request on those cards, turn them in any Sunday in the offering plate, or they would be collected and they would be given to people and they would be prayed for. Maybe we could reinstitute that. Maybe you would like to have a part in reinstituting that. Something else that I think would be good is if we could get our prayer line expanded so that we, you know, don't just send that out on a prayer line, those requests that come in, but we get them out some other way that might be a little more in keeping with, you know, how some of the younger people operate through email or through, you know, Twitter or, or something along those lines. And there, there's some improvements that we can make. But doing well, we can do a little better. Jesus, when he looks into his church, wants to see prayer and people praying. When he looks into his church, he wants us to see that we recognize and strive to carry out the various functions of the church. And we've mentioned them before. Evangelism, bringing people to know the Lord. Discipleship, helping them to grow in the things of the faith and become mature believers. He wants to see us fellowshipping with one another as we enjoy times of, of like meal times together, but as we work with one another, like we did when Marie Care was here. You know, fellowshipping with one another, ministering together to meet the needs that are around us, you know, seeking to gather together and worship Him. He wants to see those things in His church, and He wants those things to be for all people. Again, He was cleaning out the courts of the Gentiles because that's where the people from other nations came to worship. And the people who were running the temple then they didn't think those people were important. So they just let anything go on in their part of the church building. And boy, did that not please Jesus. You don't find him making a whip and driving out people anywhere else. If you look at what Jesus knew, and see, Jesus knows what heaven's going to be like, then you'll see part of the reason he acted that way. In Revelation chapter 7, it's... Uh, talking about uh, the, what it looks like before the throne of God. <clears throat> and the scripture says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. People from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. That's what heaven's going to look like. And churches ought to mirror that shouldn't they? Everyone welcome. Everyone accepted. You know, again, you know, when we hinder anyone from worshiping God, then we're showing contempt for that person, and we're showing contempt for the God who made them. God knows what He's doing, and we submit ourselves to His will and His direction. 
And again, we do a great job of welcoming people. You know, this is one of the friendliest, warmest churches I've been a part of in a long time. But, uh, you know, we do a great job of welcoming. We just also have to make sure we do a great job of assimilating that people who want to come and join the church, you know, aren't just welcome, but they are accepted and made fully apart. And that is something that's going to please, please the Lord. Well, the reaction Jesus got, if you look back at verse 18, you will see it. Verse 18 in uh, Mark chapter 11. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Some of the people were amazed at what Jesus was doing. Some of the other gospel writers says that they were praising God because of what Jesus was doing. They realized that Jesus was right on with the will of God when he was doing what he was doing there in the temple. But the religious leaders, uh oh, here's somebody trying to bring in different people, bring in different practices, and take away our power, and they didn't like it. If you try to do the will of God, if you try to glorify Jesus, if you try to follow him, you're going to get both those reactions. You're going to make some people happy, some people excited, some people are going to find the Lord, some people are going to be blessed by you, and they're going to thank you for it. Some people are going to say, what are you up to? Not sure I like this. You better cut it out. Jesus pleased some of the people, but he threatened some of the people so much that they decided to have him killed. And they got to work on it, and they did it. It wasn't going to be but a few days later when they had him hung on the cross. This was one of the main events that triggered that happening when it did, because they weren't going to let this guy come in and take over their temple. Guess what? God took what happened to Jesus because he was following God's will and doing God's teaching. They, God took their hanging him on a cross and turned it into the means of your salvation and mine and the salvation of anyone who will invite Jesus into their lives. What a powerful God we serve that he can work through so many things to help and bless and accomplish his purposes. So don't be afraid to follow Jesus. Don't be afraid to take a stand for him. Don't be afraid to be challenged because you're doing so. Because God's going to make it pay in the long run. And he did it with Jesus. When he let him be crucified to be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he raised him from the dead, showing that he can give eternal life. Suppose this roof was lifted off this building and God looked in. You know what one of the things he would see is? He would see that cross. That's a beautiful cross. I like it that we've got a cross there. It reminds us that we serve a crucified, risen Savior. That cross stands for something. That cross stands for forgiveness, 
because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can be forgiven of our sins. That cross stands for acceptance. That if we come into this house and we put our faith in Jesus, if we trust in Him, we're going to be accepted by God Himself. We're going to be God's child now and for eternity. That cross stands for acceptance. That cross stands for life. Eternal life. Life that's full and free and abundant and goes on forever. That cross stands for love. That God loved us so much that He allowed His Son to die on the cross. That God loves us so much that He sends His Holy Spirit into our lives to convict us of our sin. God loves us so much that He draws us to Himself. God loves us so much that He allows us to throw, approach His throne of grace with confidence and to pray to Him and bring our cares and concern to Him and know that He will help. When God would look through this church of the roof or thin, see that cross, he would be pleased with that cross. Let me ask you a question. Does what that cross represent show up in our lives as members of this church? Does his forgiveness, his acceptance, his life, his love, Jesus knows what's going on in His churches. And He wants that forgiveness and acceptance and life and love to be in our lives and to be shared through our lives to everyone, everyone who will be open to receiving them. So at Holland Avenue Baptist Church, Jesus wants to see a church that recognizes its true owner. He wants to see a church which fulfills its primary task. He wants to see a church that's carrying out the responsibilities, the functions that He gives us as a church. So think about some of these things. Consider, do you pray for this service before you come? Do you pray for the worship service before you come? Let me tell you what. Do you pray for yourself before you come? Do you pray that God will forgive you and cleanse you and make you fit for worship? Do you pray that God will open your heart and open your mind so that you might receive what He wants to do in your life when you come to worship? Yeah, we ought to prepare ourselves before we come to worship. That's how we prepare for this service. You know, if you aren't ready to come, Billy Graham would be up here preaching to you and it would make a bit of difference. But if you prepare yourself, it doesn't matter who's up here preaching it's going to make a difference. Prepare yourself. Have a worshipful attitude while you're here. Work at worship, having a worshipful attitude. Not that I, I saw Jane no one in the hall this morning. She didn't speak to me. Or that preacher had on that tie last week. Well, we can get our minds distracted with a lot of things. Come with a worshipful attitude. I'm going to focus on God and listen to what he's trying to say to me. Welcome, everybody. We're doing good at that. Keep that up. Everybody who comes into this door should feel the love and acceptance and, you know, willingness to make a part. Comes through us, people. Comes through us. We've got to do it. And then ask yourself, what can I do to strengthen the prayer life of this church? And you may want to ask yourself, what things am I demanding we keep in the worship service or in the church 
that might be a hindrance to somebody else. We can do that too sometimes. Sometimes it's easy for us to worship the things that are meant to assist our worship instead of worshiping God. Do do you worship God or do you worship the things that are meant to assist your worship? Now before you answer too quickly, think about what happens sometimes. Quit using an older building of the church or make a vast remodel of it and guess what? Some people are going to leave. Change the preacher and then some people are going to go somewhere else. Change the order of the style of worship too much and some people are going to grumble now noisily as they exit and stay gone. Are we worshiping the things meant to assist our worship or are we worshiping God? We all need to remind, be reminded God owns this church. It's His, not ours. So let's use it for His intended purposes.